Trust you found your place in the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let's read at verse number 1 down to verse number 6. And um, But I'll focus it tonight, of course, on verse number 6. But we haven't been in this chapter for some time now, so I think we need a little bit of a refresher by way of context as far as where we are. So I'll just read verses 1 down to verse number 6. 1 John chapter 4. Verse number one, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity and privilege you've given us to be here tonight. We ask for your blessings on your word, pray that you would use it to strengthen hearts. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us, that we would learn more about you so that we can apply your principles to our lives so that your will can be accomplished. Pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. Give wisdom and direction as I speak. Maybe your words and not mine. Take full control. Have your divine way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You will be seated. There's a song that is sung in church. I haven't heard it in a while, but it's this song that says, Which side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. Gets to different verses and it says at times, which side are you standing on? Which side are you clapping on? But the emphasis, of course, of this song is the way in which it starts. Which side are you leaning on? And as I, I have pondered this song as it has been sung and as goes the case with other songs at times. Sometimes you hear the words and you wonder, well, how scriptural are they? Or how accurate are they in terms of what we really should be doing? It's a pastor, well, what's the problem with leaning on the Lord's side? Well, let me tell you, as I think about this, if you're leaning on one side, it gives the impression that you are somewhere in the middle on the fence and you are leaning over on the Lord's side, and I'm here to say that we need to be firmly, solidly standing on the side of the Lord so that even if you lean, you have no chance of ending up on the opposite side. Let the church say amen. amen. By the way, I'm not banning the song, but I'm giving you something to think about. In the book of 1 John chapter 4, we have seen here that 
the apostle, of course, John, disciple of our Lord, emphasizes the importance of knowing what side you're on and ensuring that you stand firmly on that side with great conviction. He begins this chapter with an emphasis and a command to us all as believers, those who name the name of Christ, to recognize that we are in a spiritual war. We're in a battle. And as such, we must first jot this down, which I did mention, discern the spirits. He mentioned in verse number one, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He sets the premise, first of all, that Listen, not every spirit is of God. There are spirits that are anti-God. There are spirits that are against God. And so a believer must develop the spirit of discernment or have the spirit of discernment to be able to detect who is who and what is what. And so he says here to discern the spirits. In verse number 4 to verse number 5, he then says, Once you develop the ability to discern the spirits, determine your stance. Ensure where you are standing is on the right side. He gives an admonition here. He says, listen, let me give you a reminder in verse number four. Ye are of what? Of God, little children, and have overcome them. Here it is. There is a clear indication that there is a side of God and there is a side that's not against, that for God. But he gives an encouragement here that, listen, let me let you understand something very clearly. If you are on the side of God, you are on the winning side. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He says to the believers, listen, you can have confidence that that as a child of God, you have been given the victory. You have success over the world. You have a powerful association. You are of God. You are of the one who cannot be defeated. You have a powerful association. But in verse 5, he says, let me give you a a sobering reminder. Make no mistake, even though the enemy knows that he's already defeated, he is a prowling adversary. Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In spite of the fact that, that, that he knows his, his destiny is, 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 a, is a gruesome, awful one, he's seeking to take as many as he can with him. And even for those who he no longer has control over, he's seeking and endeavoring to disrupt their lives and to minimize their impact for Almighty God. So he says, Believer, child of God, you must determine your stance. You have success over the world. But I want us to emphasize here on verse number six. Because even though we are indeed on the winning side, he gives some instructions here that would help each and every believer. And it would behoove each and every person who 
is already on the winning side to understand that oftentimes, even though we are on the winning side, we don't act like winners. And even though we are on the winning side, we don't even experience winning the way we ought to. And so he gives an admonition in verse number six that even though we have success over the world, we are champions. Why? Not because of us, but because of God. He says, if you want to experience that victory in your life, living from day to day, you must demonstrate an attitude of submission to the word. Submission to the word. Now we'll see this in great detail here in verse number six. He describes here a particular attitude that we ought to embrace. Look at what he says here. He says, we are of God. Look at the next phrase. He that knoweth God heareth us. Now notice John is writing as a elder. He's writing as someone who has walked with the Savior. One who has experienced some things. One who God has given wisdom to be able to impart to believers and not just believers in his time but here we are reading his words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit thousands of years later and he's saying we are of God. That's that's indisputable. But he that knoweth God heareth us. He's saying that a a person who has the spirit of God, a person who is a child of God, in other words, responds in submission to the word of God. Then he goes on to say, if you don't know God, you have a different type of response, and that response is one of rebellion to the word. Now, let's look at this very closely again. He's making a clear line of demarcation and a distinction to those who know God and those who don't know God. And he's making that line and that distinction those who hear the word of God. And he's not just talking about a casual hearer. He's talking about one who hears what God says and takes heed. One who submits to the word of God. He says, that one is the one that knows God. He says, the one that is not of God, heareth not us. He's referring to the response. Notice we, we, it's all throughout this, this epistle where we, we've seen the enduring theme of, of, of what I've labeled and dubbed the Christian signature. There are some things about uh, a believer that ought to be distinctive, that ought to characterize that child of God. And John is very direct regarding this. He's saying, listen, if you embrace the word of God, if you hear the word of God, if you are submissive to the word of God, you are of God. If you are not, you are otherwise. You see a person who has an attitude, listen, I couldn't care less what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do. He says, watch out. 
I fear that we're living in a day and age, and maybe it's not new, where many Christians are fooled by this easy believism. And what do I mean by that? Oh, I said a prayer some time ago, and, uh, 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 and as, uh, by virtue of me having said a prayer, I can reject the word of God continually. I can reject God continually. And somehow, that prayer that I prayed some time ago, magically, will provide me fire insurance. It will somehow keep me from the pits of hell. You see, the problem is, if that is an individual's response, their heart has not been changed. And my friend, if an individual's heart has not been changed, you are not saved. Turn to Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 8 because Jesus addressed individuals of this sort. And Jesus was not afraid to call them out. Now, you and I don't have the authority to call out individuals as Jesus did in this way. Why? Because we don't have the ability to see an individual's heart. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. He says, This people draw nigh, draw it nigh unto me with their what? Their mouth. And honoreth me, my honor, with their lips. But their heart is far from me. He says they say all the right things. But their heart is far away. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, a very familiar passage to all of us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My friend, there is something characteristic and distinctive that emanates from a life of a believer that knows God. And that is characterized by submission. It's characterized by a willingness to embrace, to hear, to, to listen, to heed to what God said. Submission is a word that has a very negative connotation in our English language. Why? Because the word submission somehow tends to imply weakness. Kind of like a lamb being led to a slaughter. I believe it also has a very negative connotation because of our dark history with respect to slavery. But my friend, biblical submission requires strength. You know why? Because submission as outlined in the word of God is an intentional decision 
to yield one's will to another even when those wills don't align. That takes strength. But I want us to look at a number of verses here tonight, beginning, first of all, with the greatest example of submission in Jesus Christ, who was no less God than God the Father, but he demonstrated submission when he took on human flesh and went to the cross. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 30. I want you to follow me closely here because this issue of submission is one that is very often shunned, misunderstood. And I can come up with any number of phrases and terms that are used in a negative way to describe individuals or an individual who would demonstrate a, an attitude of submission. But look at John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 30. It says, I can of mine own self, and this is Jesus speaking, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not what? Mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. That's Jesus. The one whose word spoke the universe into existence. Demonstrating an example of submission, of yielding his will to the will of the Father. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 22, and verse 42. Very familiar words Jesus spoke just before he was going to go to the cross and experience what we probably would never be able to fathom with our human minds. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is Jesus himself demonstrating an attitude of submission. It goes to show that in the life of a believer and a decision of submission, an attitude of submission is an inescapable responsibility of a believer. Here's another reason why it requires such strength. Because biblical submission are not to be the result of you having been pounded into submission or twist-armed into submission, so to speak. It ought to be the result of a decision to submit in obedience to God. That's what Jesus did. I'm going to share with you a number of verses that show how 
significant submission is, how widely it is throughout the word of God, how widely it ought to be practiced in various aspects of our lives. Now, look first of all, very quickly, and I trust that you're good Bible uh, drillers <laughs> as we look at number of verses very quickly. Look first of all at James chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, here is where submission ought to begin. The very root, the foundation of where it ought to be demonstrated and evident in the life of believer. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to who? God. That's the foundation. Submission to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that ability to resist the devil is not going to come about until one has surrendered and submitted themselves to God. Every other act of submission is a response and ought to be a response of my submission to God himself. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 to 22. We'll see another area of our lives where submission is clearly commanded. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Submitting yourselves, what? One to another in the fear of God. It continues. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It didn't say you ought to be pounded it ought to be an intentional decision. Submit yourselves unto your own husband. I mean, I don't think these words are accidentally there because sometimes you know, maybe some people are willing to submit themselves unto other people even rather than unto their own husband. Let me move on quickly. It's really quiet up in here. I say move on, but here it is. I got another verse for you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves. By the way, I'm not reading from the same Ephesians. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Wow. All right. Ephesians. Wives, you get a break now. Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 13. Sorry, I keep saying Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for it is that is unprofitable for you. 
Here he's speaking in the context of pastors, spiritual leaders. Submit yourselves. I'm letting these passages speak for themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 16. Now, to help you get the context of this verse, I want you to back up to verse number 15. So you could understand who he's referring to here. He says, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruit of Achaia, and that they have, look at this, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Here you have these individuals who have sold out. They have, listen, endeavored, listen, every fiber of our being or time or talent or treasure is going to be involved in ministering to other people for the sake of evangelizing the world. Then look at the next verse. That ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Here is he saying, listen, you see somebody who sold out for God, doing great things for God, has endeavored by the grace of God, my life is going to be used for the purpose of ministry. Listen, submit yourselves to such. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Look at another verse. Not the context. Not the situation. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. By the way, those of you older siblings in here, don't go pounding your younger siblings over the head with this verse when you get home, all right? <laughs> Yea, all of you, look at this. Even though he gave that instruction, those who are younger have a particular attitude to your elders. But he says, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You see how this, this, this attitude of submission is just being woven into every aspect of life. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. And I'll probably have to come back to this one another time and to explain the context so that... <laughs> The controversial nature and use of this verse is not misunderstood. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now, I don't have the time to go into all of the detail and context of this verse, but suffice it to say for tonight, in our context, we can simply substitute these words in a context of employers and employees. Your mass is according to the flesh. 
on your job, on your workplace. You ought to have an attitude of submission to your supervisor, an attitude of submission to those who are over you in the workplace. By the way, on a side note, I've found that it seems so very much easier for people to demonstrate that attitude of submission on the workplace and they, sub they, they forget about it in every other context. You know why I found out that is? It's all about the dollar. If you're paying me, well, I can easily submit to you. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. The final one here tonight. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Even as it relates to those who are in office, those who are in charge of government. It's saying submit to the laws of the land. Back in First John, and I'll close with this. Why is this response so important? And we'll probably pick this up next week because I don't have the time to really explore this I would like, but I want to leave you with this. John emphasizes the importance of having a particular attitude. This attitude of submission that we've seen throughout these passages. But here's why this is so critical. Why this is so key in the life of a believer. Look back with me at verse number 6. After emphasizing the fact that we are to be submissive to the word of God, which ultimately extends to the fact that whatever God has said in his word, and all these passages are the word of God. He says, if you have the proper attitude, that of submission, here's what's going to happen to you as a believer. You're going to be able to conclude with a proper assessment. Look at the second part of verse number six. And it is directly linked to the first part. He says, hereby, as a result of having a submissive attitude to the word of God, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, are you seeing what I'm seeing when you read that? He's saying, if you have the proper attitude to the word of God, to embrace the word of God, to be submissive to the word of God, here's what's going to happen to you as a believer. You're going to have the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. Now, you ever wonder why you see people make decisions that make you scratch your head? I'm talking about believers. And you wonder how in the world they could do that and think it is right? Why? They have a spirit of rebellion to the word of God. And as a result of that spirit of rebellion, they have lost the ability to actually discern what is right and what is wrong. And they're going headlong in the wrong direction thinking that they're doing the right thing. They've lost the ability 
to discern the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Wow. Be careful of embracing a spirit of rebellion. It will put literal blinders over your eyes. That's what John is saying. I'm going to pause there because this aspect of spiritual blindness, it is crippling many believers. But it doesn't come about randomly. It comes about from an attitude of rebellion to the word of God. It comes about as a result of not being submissive to what thus said the Lord. And I trust that each and every believer, that we would understand that if we are of God, we have to be willing to hear. And this hearing is an active hearing. It's not just, oh, well, it went in one ear and it came out the next. No. It's a as Jesus says, he that ears to hear, Jesus said, he that hath ears to what? Hear, let him hear. And I trust that as believers, we would be submissive to the word of God.